One of the things I'm, I'm thankful for um, is Luke chapter 15. Um, I have preached it, I would guess, once a year um, since I started preaching. Um, and I mean, now I'm maybe 10 to 12 times a year I'm preaching. So that's like 10% of my sermons have been on Luke chapter 15. Um, and now this year is no different. Um, so turn with me to Luke 15. Um, we're going to look at um, the parable of the lost son, um, Luke chapter 15. That parable starts in verse 11. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses, though, to kind of set the scene. Um, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to set the scene, we've got tax collectors and sinners. So they're on one side. They're on one team. Um, they are, if you were to ask the, the Pharisees and the keepers of the law, the teachers of the law, they would say um, that the tax collectors and sinners are, they're repulsive. They are awful. They are terrible. They are not on our team. We don't associate with them. They are the worst of the worst. So you've got them. Then you've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They are the guys that follow all the rules, the guys that are the, the religious guys. Um, so you've got these two groups sitting together, not together, sitting, listening to Jesus. Um, they would never sit together. Um, and so Jesus tells this story. He tells the parable of the lost sheep, then the lost coin. Um, and then we get to this one here in verse 11. Um, called the parable of the lost son, or your Bible might say, might call it the, the prodigal son. Um, really, the story is about the father and his two sons. Um, but, I don't know, I didn't label the Bible, don't get mad at me. Um, so the parable of the lost son starts in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So, that, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father said to him, or his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been working for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So here Jesus tells a story of of these two brothers. And the first brother, the young brother, um, goes to his father and says, listen, I know I'm not supposed to get my share of your inheritance until you're dead, but I want it now. Basically saying, I wish you would die. I want your money. Now, most fathers, fathers like me, fathers like anybody else, would say, who do you think you are? What are, you, what are you talking about? You want half of my inheritance now. Get out of here. But this father doesn't do that. This father says, you know what? Sure. And he gives it to him. And the son takes it. And, and shortly thereafter, he, he takes off and, and um, into a, a, what the Bible calls a, a wild lifestyle um, of, of rebelling against his father and trying to make his own way. And then it says that a severe famine hits the land, um, and, and this brother now is, is, is out of money. He's forced to find a job. Only thing he can find is, is working for a guy in, in his, his pig field. And he is so hungry that the pig slop looks like something delicious to eat. I don't know if you've ever seen pig slop, um, but I have never been that hungry. Finally, it says that, that he comes to his senses. He realizes the, the servants that my father has, they eat better than this. They live better than this. What am I doing out here? And he decides he's going to go back. He's going to turn around. He's going he's to head back home. And he has this speech that, um, that he's, he's made up in his head of, of what he's going to recite to the father just to try to, try to get the father to, to take him back, to not even forgive him, but just let him work for him. So he heads home. Um, and it says when he's still a long way off that, that the father sees him and starts running towards him. Now, at this point, when Jesus is telling the story, I can picture both groups of people here, the, the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, both looking at it and saying, here we go. The tax collectors and, I was doing this side, right? Tax collectors and sinners are looking at it saying, you know, this is, that's, that's us. I know that's us in the story. And it's kind of embarrassing because the father's going to come and he's, He's going to berate him. He's going to yell at him. He's, this is embarrassing to us. And I can see them kind of getting a little, a little squeamish and a little awkward. We're on the other side with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. 
they're saying the same thing. They're saying, oh yeah, here goes. He's going to get him. And, and they're looking at it saying, good. I mean, this guy has turned his back on his father. This guy has, has disrespected his father, spent all his inheritance on, on, on dumb things, on sinful things. And now he's coming back. He's going to get it. And it's going to be good. It's going to be epic. And he deserves it. But that's not what the father does. The father runs to him and he doesn't yell at him and berate him and say, you owe me and say, I told you this would happen and say, who do you think you are? He runs to him and he throws his arms around him and, and he gets a, a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and the best robe and he kills the fattened calf that's saved for these special occasions and he celebrates this son. And that's not what either group expected. Then, then the story pans over to the older brother. And the older brother's out in the field, obeying the rules, staying with the father, doing what he's supposed to be doing, self-righteously, but also making his own way. See, the younger son made his own way by taking off and rebelling. The older son's trying to make his own way by following the rules, by, 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 by doing what he's supposed to do, and not because he loves the father, as you can see in the tone. It's not because he loves the father. It's because he knows that that's the best way to get to what he wants to get to. He's making his own way just in a different way. And um, the older son is angry. The older son does not agree with the way the father has handled the situation. He says, I've been here. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. That stuff is mine. I've earned it. And the father is heartbroken, trying to just, please, come inside. Come celebrate with us. Your brother was lost and he's found. He was, he was dead and he's alive. Come and celebrate this but he won't do it. Often when this is preached, and I'm probably guilty of it, seeing as I've preached it for 10% of my sermons, um, according to the math, um, often we're, we're faced with this, this question at the end of the story saying, which, which son are you? Are you the one that, that runs off and, and rebels and tries to make your own way that way? Or are you the son that that follows the rules and tries to earn it yourself. And um, being a Christian, being in the middle of that, you often think, okay, well, I guess I'm the older brother because um, I'm a Christian. I'm with the Father. Um, but the more I look at it, the more I think about it, the more I study it, if I'm being honest, I'm both. I'm both brothers. I think we're all both brothers. Um, and then I guess the question is, well, how can you be the brother, the son running from God, but also be the son who stays and tries to earn it? Like that seems, those seem like two opposite ends of, of the spectrum. How do you, how do you get to be both? And I'm glad you asked. Um, because I want to show you an example of somebody in the Bible who is very clearly both of these sons. So if you'll turn with me to Jonah, it's a very popular story. Um, Jonah, 
we're going to read the, uh, the whole book. It's really not that long, but I think we've got to read the whole book if we want to, uh, if we want to really get a, a clear sense of what's going on here. So Jonah, chapter 1, starting at verse number 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the, sailors who, all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to try to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call to your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, 
and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Then the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give him shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned? about this great city. That's such a cool story. Um, so we've got Jonah, who is a prophet, uh, which means he speaks to the people on behalf of God. God speaks to him, and then he speaks to the people. And God's asked him to, to bring a message to this people um, called the Ninevites, who are total enemies of the Israelites, hated by the Israelites. Um, so, um, what Jonah does is he boards a ship and heads in the complete opposite direction of where God has asked him to go. Here he is being the 
the first son, the younger son, the prodigal son, who has decided, I'm going to rebel and I'm going this way. I know your life for me is here. I'm going here. So that's what Jonah does. Um, and God sends a storm, much like he sent a famine in the parable of the prodigal son. He sends a storm that, that causes Jonah to come to his senses. And he tells the people who, the, who he is on the ship, and he says, the only answer is you've got to throw me in. And they obviously don't want to do that, because why would you want to do that? Um, but it comes to the point where they have no choice, and they throw him in. Um, he's swallowed by this fish, and um, like the prodigal son, like the, the younger son in the story, um, who, who comes up with this speech to give to the father, um, Jonah, Jonah comes up in chapter 2, I believe it was, um, is just this prayer from Jonah to God, um, and God has compassion on Jonah, and he, he gets him spit out onto the dry land, where now he tells him again, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. So now Jonah does go to the city, and Jonah um, tells the people about God in what is the worst sermon in history. I mean, um, I hate to judge people's sermons, because I know I'm not the greatest, but his sermon is, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And that's, that's what he's saying to them. Um, but in that, God uses that to save, what did he say? Uh, more than 120,000 people in this city are saved. And when that happens, Jonah turns into the older son. Jonah... Um, he's, he's upset about the Father's forgiveness. He's upset about God's forgiveness. And he says, I knew you were going to do this. What are you, why are you doing this for these people? The same thing the older son was saying to the Father. Why are you doing this for him? I've done so much for you, and you're doing this for him. That's what Jonah's saying. Why? These people, why? They are so far from you. And he refuses to go in and to engage with the people of Nineveh. Once, they've, once this celebration has begun, once they've become, they've, they've come to their senses, they, they've turned around, they've decided we need to stop doing these evil things. He refuses to go in and to engage with them, just like the older son, who refused to join the celebration. And then, like the story of the, the prodigal son, um, Jonah ends the story by sulking outside. So which son are you? I truly believe each one of us at different times in our lives, depending on the day, depending on the circumstance, we're both. We're both. We are, sometimes we're working for our righteousness. Sometimes we are working for righteousness. And if that's you in this time, if you're in this period of, of working for righteousness, um, consider this for a second. Imagine, imagine somebody comes up to you with this beautiful diamond. It's, it's a, just a priceless diamond, $30 million. Why did I just put a price on it when I said it's priceless? A priceless diamond and comes to you and says, 
here's a gift. I want you to have this. And you look at them and you say, no, there's no, this is incredible. There's no way I can just take this from you. Here, listen. Here is, I don't actually have it, but here's $30. I'll give you $30. Thank you for this gift. That is more insulting than anything. To receive this priceless gift and say, here's 30 bucks for it. Thank you very much. But that's what we do when we receive this gift of grace from God. When Jesus dies for our sins, forgives us from sin so that we can have this relationship with God and we turn around and say, boy, thank you, but now I have to do this and this and this and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to earn this. I'm going to pay you back. When we are being the older son, when we are working for righteousness, it's, it's like offering $30 for this priceless diamond. It's ridiculous and it's insulting. Second thing I would say is if, if we're in this season um, of, of working for our righteousness, oftentimes we, um, when we work for our righteousness, um, I mean the definition of that really is self-righteousness, right? We're working within ourselves for this righteousness and we get self-righteous and we start to compare ourselves to other people and we say, you know, I'm better than that person, I'm better than that person and then they're blessed or, or God works through them and, and we get angry and we get jealous and we say, listen, I've done all of this and you're going to bless them? And I would say... God is in charge. God is in control. And he decided to show you grace and mercy and forgiveness. And who are you to question who else he's going to give that gift to? God is in charge. And he can offer gifts and give people forgiveness and bless people. And that's okay because he's done the same for you. If you are working for righteousness, you need to recognize that and you need to repent of that and you need to, to ask God to remind you how you were saved in the first place because it wasn't by you and it wasn't by me. It was a free gift from Him. If you're in a season of running from righteousness, if you're in a season, a younger brother type of season, I would say to you, um, come as you are. Come as you are. God can save you. God can use you. God used Jonah, who completely ran from him, who completely went the other way, used him to save over 120,000 Ninevites with the worst sermon any of us have ever heard. And he used that person and he used that sermon to save that group of people. And he can use you and save you. If you're in that season of rebelling against God, running from God, turning your back on God, not wanting to engage with God, I need you to know that he is there and he is ready. And if you will come to your senses, as is said in, in Luke 15, as the younger brother did, he came to his senses. If you'll do the same, God will come running to you and throw his arms around you. 
There will not be a berating. There will not be a yelling and screaming and an I told you so and you need to work for me this many years. It's like, I mean, it's not like if you were, so say you're in a job and there's this promotion coming up and you've got a month to apply for it. So you're getting ready. You think you've got a good shot at this. And then in that time period before the, the promotion comes up, you completely blow it at your job. Whatever it is, you, uh, you lose a huge client, you, you, whatever it is, you just blow it. You are going to work extra hard to try to get back to that level. If you were here and, and now you've blown it and you're down here, you are going to work extra hard. You're going to put in the work to try to get back to where you were, to try to earn that trust back at your job. That's not the way God works. If you have blown it, welcome to the club. If you have blown it, God does not make you work to get back to where you were because that's not how it works. If you've blown it and you realize, I have blown it, and you turn around and say, God, I have blown it, he will throw his arms around you and welcome you back and put a robe on you and a ring on you and sandals on you and say, you were lost and now you're found. We will celebrate. God loves you so, so much. If you are at a place where you are just down rock bottom, in the dirt, with the pigs, just there's no way you could get any farther down. I need you to know that God will meet you there. There's this story in the Bible of um, this woman who has been caught um, cheating with this man who is another woman's husband. She's been caught in adultery. And, um, and these, these Pharisees and, and these teachers of the law, they come and they throw her before Jesus, throw her to the ground in front of him and say, Jesus, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. The law says that, that we should kill her, that we should throw rocks at her until she's dead. What do you say? And there's this moment where Jesus crouches down in the dirt and he starts, starts writing something in the dirt. And there's lots of question about what is Jesus writing? Um, is he writing out the Ten Commandments? Is he writing out um, something about forgiveness? Is he writing out uh, all the sins of the, the people who brought this woman to him? What's he writing? But to me, the important thing isn't what he's writing. The important thing is, this woman who is down in the dirt, Jesus has just lowered himself to her level. He has just crouched down into the dirt with her. His posture is so important to me in this situation. This woman who has hit rock bottom, Jesus crouches down and gets down to her level. And he'll do the same for you. If you have blown it, if you are at rock bottom or headed that way fast, I need you to know Jesus will meet you there. Jesus will get down in the dirt with you to help you up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Luke 15, which is such a, such a clear picture of the gospel. We are all lost. 
And when, when, when you save us, when you enter our lives, we're found. We're all dead and we're made alive in you. And I thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're somebody who, um, who has not accepted Jesus, who, who has heard that he can meet you where you are, and you've never, you've never realized that before. You thought you had to be like this older son, and you had to work your way up. You had to, to you, you'd blown it, you were here, you'd blown it, and it seems like every time you get a step, you fall back two steps, and you just can't seem to get there. I need you to know that that is called life. And that is where we all are. And whether it's me or any of the other leaders at this church or anyone attending this church or anybody you ever see in this life, we all struggle with that. We all struggle with that. We've all blown it. None of us is perfect. None of us is even close. But Jesus makes us righteous. Jesus takes away our sin. Jesus offers us this free gift of forgiveness and salvation and connects us back to God. When Jesus came, he died for all sins. Not just the sins of those who could get to this level. You have to be this good to, to take this ride. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus died for all sin. So that if you would put your trust in him, if you would say, listen, I am done with this, I will die to this, and I will live in you, he'll do that for you. If that's you, if, you, if you're at the point in your life where you say, listen, I need this, I need Jesus, I need him, I'm ready for him, I would ask that you raise your hand and you, you pray this prayer with me. Um, and I remind every time that this is not some magic formula. This is, this is um, not the, the secret code how to get into heaven. This is just an outward expression of what's going on on the inside. So pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I pray that you would help me to die to myself so I can live in you. I thank you that at rock bottom, you are there. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your love. Please save me today. Change me. Make me new. And help me to live my life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to get a Bible in your hand. We'd love to pray with you. Um, so please let us know. And thank you for joining us this morning.